0: Welcome to See Things Differently, a podcast from Remix Summits in collaboration with our series partner, the UK Government and Time Out. I'm your host, Peter Tullin, and your guide to the future of the creative economy. This podcast is for creatives who want to be creative entrepreneurs... We have entered the age of the creator and its big business. Creative entrepreneurs are driving whole new industries, such as the immersive entertainment sector, by taking advantage of shifts in the experience economy to build immersive worlds that have captivated millions of people. They're shaping the future of storytelling and unlocking the potential of emergent technologies, such as VR and NFTs. They have driven the content revolution and creators will be central to the metaverse which the likes of Mark Zuckerberg are predicting will be the next evolution of the internet. To see things differently, we will share the stories of these pioneers. I believe creative entrepreneurs could offer some of the answers to how we can build back better from the global pandemic. Our guest today is Dan Snow. A well known historian and TV personality who has presented shows on channels such as the BBC. Dan gave up the security of a successful TV career to take the plunge into the startup world in 2015, setting up History Hit. History Hit has been something of a phenomenon, with over a million people listening to his podcast each week and also tuning into the History Hit TV platform, which is a kind of Netflix for history. This episode focuses on Dan's entrepreneurial journey to date and some of the lessons that he's learned along the way. Okay, Dan, uh, welcome to um, See Things Differently. It's fantastic to have you on the um, the podcast. Thanks very um, much for having a, me. Oh, Our pleasure. And look, and I think I'm gonna, just going to get going. And, and first of all, look, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about History Hit for the, uh, the uninitiated. Okay, well, History Hit
1: began... When I was standing, it was an idea I had when I was standing on the battlefield of Hastings, um, 20 years ago, and I, I was aware the internet had been invented, but no one in the TV industry seemed to know that. And I was making this TV show and I thought, this is weird. Like, why is this TV? I'm making this TV show, but people can't access it. They watch it once on a Friday night, which by the way, that Friday night was going out during the Olympic games. So no one watched it at all. And, um, I thought, <laughs> where you, where you want to watch Hastings content is on your phone, like, or, or listen, like have it, like we've got these devices now. They're amazing. You can deliver content to them. And so really that was, it's been a journey from then. And initially it was always, as you know, like it was a way of how do you make these things sustainable? Was it video? Was it apps? Was it what? Was it text? Was it audio? It turns out the easiest way in was audio podcasts that, you know, that that carried ads and that became a way of sustaining. I was able to generate revenue so I could actually make a living and employ people. So I started with making audio. That's a podcast, Dan Snow's history hit that does a million listens a week today. And this is, is very much at the heart of what i do and then from there i launched a video channel called history hit tv which is like netflix for history so you subscribe Mm -hmm. a fiver or whatever and then you get uh, hundreds of hours of of history documentaries and all the podcasts out the ads and stuff and that's going from strength to strength so and now we've got a a website we've got various other bits and bobs as well so it's kind of it's a it's a online history platform uh and it's you know with with millions of users uh, whether it's audio or social media or .com or, or paying subscribers all over the world.
0: Great. Okay. So that's a, that's a pretty good overview. And as you said, look, you were, you were a, obviously a, a well-known as a historian. You had a successful career on TV despite that Friday in the competition from the, the Olympic Games. And I'm kind of interested in like, like where your journey began, though, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, what, what influences led you to that idea to take that plunge? You know, was, was it a light bulb moment or was it a, you know, an evolution over time?
1: Well, that's a really good question, uh, and it's really nice to be on this podcast talking about um, the entrepreneurial side of it because, it really, it's so funny. People always go, oh, you know, down to the history broadcast. I feel that for the last five years, I've actually been an entrepreneur. Really, I- I've done less mm. history and more. You know, crazy entrepreneur stuff that you and your listeners will recognize, which is, you know, from, from keeping the business going to worrying about cash flow to, to finding ink for photocopiers to, um, relentlessly meeting people and, and finding, you know, networking and, and, and looking for investors and trying to actually get members of the public to part with their hard earned cash, which to this day is one of the most difficult, but also the most satisfying things I've ever come across. It's a huge, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very nice when people watch you. And say nice things to you in the street, but to get them to go, no, all right. There's five ninety nine a month. I'm going to give this to you because I, I like what you're doing. That that is a humbling thing. So yeah, mm-hmm. that journey began again. I realised that in order to achieve my aim of making the content that what I wanted to make and having the freedom, the freedom is what I wanted. Um, there were so many gatekeepers. There's the person in charge of history at the BBC or Channel 5 or History Channel. There's the person in charge of the publishing at Collins or whatever it is, the newspaper uh, you know, commissioning person. I went, well, hang on. I want to go out there with my little supercomputer in my pocket, you know, my iPhone, whatever it is. I want to take pictures. I want to record video. I want to record audio. And I want to just get it out there to people. And I don't understand mm-hmm. why that's not possible. And it, it, I realised it could only be possible if I, to, because I could, you know, can't do that alone, I had to build a team, I had to find a way of monetizing it to make revenue. Um, and so that began probably five, six years ago. And I was getting to a point in my life. I was in my early to late, mid to late thirties. And I thought, I need to, I need to be in charge of my own stuff, man. I can't, I can't Mm. just be this kind of guy who's just being. Ordered from pillar to post. It was great when you're 20s, the most glamorous thing ever in your 20s. When you're, yeah, here's your plane ticket. Here's a taxi to pick you up from your flat in London. My <laughs> housemates couldn't believe it. There you go. Take you to the airport. Get on a plane. Go and read that script out next to the pyramids. Come home. Have a beer. Brilliant. I thought like, this was the best life I've ever come across. But in your 30s, you start to go, that's not a life. I need to have some agency here. I need to mm. get control of my... So I, I, I need some dignity. <laughs> and so I, I sort of sacrificed a lot of that. Easy living... To, to, to embrace the world of doing itself, owning the IP, owning the mm. platform, owning the relationship with the subscribers, You know, not having the BBC own that relationship with their viewers, but having me own it. And it was really difficult,
0: but it was really, really satisfying. Mm. So it sounds like it gave you a certain amount of, of freedom back again, interestingly. And and does has, has that... Is that feeling lasted or, or do you now find a pressure? Obviously, you, you know, in your internet world, you're seeing all this data about what people love. Are you now being driven by slightly different um, things you, you or know does what? it still feel like you can you can do what you want? That, you is, that is a typically perceptive question
1: and that's a really good point. The, the answer is yes, I still feel like I can do it But but it's a really good point. So freedom was essential for me and, and, and just freedom of... Freedom creatively, you know, it's nice to. If I want to make a program about the Spanish Armada, to make a program about the Spanish Armada. Not have to beg, you know, to sort of someone who just thinks history. Basically, you know, you go into the BBC and you're sitting in front of someone who basically thinks history is a bit boring, but who's in charge of BBC Factual at that point, but they prefer science or they prefer David Attenborough's nature. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. They think, oh, God, history, jeepers, creepers. So you're having to kind of really sell it internally. I'm thinking, what's going on around here? I know there's a massive audience of people out there that love this story of the spitfire crashed into the bog that we're going to dig up from the bog or a a tomb of a a Jacobite warrior, a Highland chief that we're going to open and see what battle damage his skeleton's got. These are amazing. Uh, Why am I having to convince people when I know there's a market for this out there? So, Mm. but you're right. There is a, starting up, first of all, you're really resource constrained, right? So where's the freedom if you've only got A budget of two grand a month where's the freedom there you know and so initially it was this grinding grinding right but I kept the vision on the good days it was always clear to me that vision I got enough carrot I got enough carrot to put up with all the 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 hardship I was going through because I could still glimpse that vision which is I'll be able to go out with my own team and do whatever the hell I want and it's true at the moment we do get a lot of data but luckily for us that data is pointing direction of (laughs) following we've built an audience an online audience of history mad people they have their preferences you know some of them are into medieval history some roman history some second World history. but if we go look mm. this is cool here guys we've managed to find a a medieval you know um a, a, a body buried under you know using um remote sensing to find a, a, a burial a medieval period burial that we're going to dig up with archaeologists we, we our audience seem to come with us on that so if you look at what Trends really well on our on our dot TV site. It's different every week. You know the, the audience are kind of coming mm-hmm. with us, and so that's what's really exciting. But it's a very good question.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you said because there's clearly there's totally tons of people out there who were into history. And I remember when you talked at Remix a few years back. And I think there was some stat you, you mentioned, like I think it's like 300 million people are like history fans on Facebook. And, and as you say, it seems like a like a pretty big market. And it almost reminded me at the time of things like I, I remember. Like TV and things like computer games, it was a really hard thing to to make TV about. Even though we know it's a massive, massive industry, lots of people are interested in it. It's quite restrictive, obviously, that as a, as, as a format in some ways. Um, and I'm interested. It, it now seems, you know, with 300 million people in history, but but also I notice a lot of your contents. Quite often, it's it's a historical commentary on perhaps. Co- uh, you know current day issues i mean you can kind of take it where you want now can't you that's right man
1: i mean that's the thing i for me and everyone on my team whenever people go oh, history's a bit of a niche you just go you i mean what it's everything that's ever happened to anyone who's ever lived right it's not just henry the <laughs> i mean history like it, i mean it is it i guess it's a niche in that like basketball's a niche and like football's a niche i mean yeah it's not not everyone in the world is obsessed with it all the time but so, you know there are hundreds of millions of people that self-identify as history fans on facebook more people go to history and heritage sites every weekend in the uk alone than go to football matches you know and now obviously mm. they're not everyone's obsessed with history but there's an under there's somebody just going next it's good there's good slides for their kids or it's a nice few trees to have a chill out under and have a beer but these are places in our where we go we recognize yeah it's a nice looking castle i'll go and have a you know i'll go and sit there and on a, on a nice sunny night with a few mates whatever so these are places where we are um drawn to these are stories we're drawn to and then don't start me on you know is netflix and i mean really i think ever since kind of gladiator and braveheart you know history has been very mainstream in terms of cinema mm. tv now you know as, as we know i mean whether well, it's bridgerton which is kind of history adjacent um but vikings you know these these shows are huge uh, on on our new big streaming platforms um and so we we've never i guess that's one central thing for our team that from the beginning we never accepted that history was niche we always knew that if we got it right there's a massive audience out there for history <clears throat> and and particularly break it like so as you say uh, so whether it's afghanistan israel palestine brexit mm. trump there's massive history content around there you know like when was the last time a president was indicted for this or um a, a, uh, when was the last time? Uh, you know, but like, you know, historical examples for Brexit or fuel shortages in Britain or whatever. there's, there's loads mm-hmm. and loads of commentary we can add to that, but there's also. Um, pandemic, pandemic disease, right? We've done loads of pandemic content over the last year, which is pe- people have, like, broken all our records. It's been fat People are like, okay, that's interesting. So social distancing was kind of invented in this period and looking at previous pandemics, we're like, yeah, this stuff's happened before. The British Prime Minister yeah. almost died in the great influenza pandemic of 100 years ago. You know, so very much like Boris Johnson did this time around. It's really interesting stuff. And Donald Trump did this time around. So it's it's never something we've wrestled with. We knew that if we got it right, there's always big breaking stories. There's always you know there will in our lifetime dude there will be another tomb found in the in the in the valley of the kings in egypt and the world we're talking about there are great massive shipwrecks mm. being found all the time from famous you know, that that we are going to find as the technology improves more and more stuff so it's a good place mm. to be
0: yeah fascinating so well, perhaps picking up on that. So, so your your gut was there was a big audience out there for history. And look, and I was really interested that you used um, crowdfunding in that sense to get History Hit up up and running. And I'd love to hear a bit more about your thinking there because it's it's an area which has obviously grown a lot in recent years. Uh, you know, there are companies like BrewDog that have, have built a whole business using things like crowdfunding. Obviously, they had the um, Excellent slogan, you know. You ever wish you owned shares in a brewery? Now you can. Um, so, you know, this, uh, you know, was, you obviously went straight out to that that community. So, I'd love to hear a bit about about that experience.
1: Yeah. So we, I think the other thing that's really useful for crowdfunding is it's a really good um, piece of evidence when you then go for investment as well. So if you mm, go to, yeah. so in fact we we crowdfunded hundred thousand pounds from over a thousand people. Uh, which without them, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, it's just that that was the that was one of the most exciting months of my life. And and I, I to this day, <laughs> remain incredibly grateful to those original funders. And may, most of them are still uh, members of history here. And, and you know, we see them at live events, but we certainly interact with them online and, and they are essential to everything we've done. And it also allowed us that was social. That was that was proof, right? That was proof we can go to mm. angel investors and say, look, we match funded 150 grand in SEIS and EIS funding, um, and that made that conversation a lot easier because we well, we've got a thousand people particularly yeah, when we're building a subscription model. It, it, literally, in our case, I mean, you know, with Brewdog, which I'm a keen user of Brewdog, uh, it's like, okay, you've got crowdfunding, but what's that mean about selling direct to consumer? Whereas we're like, well, we're launching a subscription engine and we've got a thousand subs before we even start, you know. So they've mm. not only given us money, they have also said, but it's also a reasonable assumption that when we send them out all of their complimentary starter subscriptions, uh, that they will all subscribe, and, and nearly everyone did. So um, it was it was it was essential. It was decisive.
0: Yeah, interesting. And, and obviously, one of the things that people always talk about crowdfunding is you know you need the the, the volume of people to to get you over the line, and and obviously you have a certain you know large uh population within within the crowdfunder that you know will pay small amounts but you also discover your your super fans as, yeah. as well and those people that really love what you're doing are perhaps prepared to pay a premium for certain perks right. through the crowdfunding or services in, into the future and and how does that i mean might might be partly about your crowdfunding might also be about history hit now in terms of your audience and how you segment things like that
1: well it's a really good question at the moment we're not very good at that so we need to look at offering premium i mean you know we need to make sure that if there are people, which we know there are among our users and fan base and subscribers, who kind of actually want more than five quid. They want to go and have uh, dinner on HMS Victory, you know, and and hang out with historians telling them about the battle. Then we need to make sure that we are uh, enabling that. <laughs> and so that will mm. be a... That is a big, a big thing for the next two years, actually, is making sure that we are... You know, e- enabling anyone who's a, a fan or a super fan to get involved at the depth that they want. And, you know, for us, that's really interesting because it could involve coming out on location filming or taking mm. part in said archaeological digs that we've mentioned. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a real menu of options for people to increase their depth of engagement with what we do. And, and we need to really make sure that we're, we're taking advantage of that
0: yes that's interesting you're, you're almost you're looking at how to get beyond just that transactional thing and and also have a look at other content brands in, in in you know in the wider space. you can see they're also embracing the the huge growth of the experience economy like Netflix developing teams that are building experiences around things like you know stranger things with you know Secret Cinema or Bridgerton that you mentioned earlier and it's, yes that's interesting that's an area that you're starting to think about as well you know how do people get closer to to what you create. I'm very, I mean, very much so, as
1: you say, everyone's doing it. Basically, but nearly everything I'm doing at the moment, Netflix did about five years ago. So, like, when I, I, I said, I'm starting a Netflix for history, everyone went, okay, interesting. And then,
0: and then every lesson I've learned, I'm like,
1: oh, oh, oh yeah, that explains. That, that's why Netflix did that thing two years ago, because now I've just learned yeah,
0: that. Look, and, they've got really good R&D budgets. They can spend yeah, no, the money no, and I, then look, you dude, can I'm, use the ideas. I'm not you know?
1: embarrassed about that, but it's just, it's just really interesting that it is a – it's just really interesting. Every time something happens, that I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. That's exactly why they made that decision or they took things in that direction. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, okay. Right, okay. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot now in terms of some of the thoughts that you have around where this space is going. So, so look, if you think about, it, I, I guess, content entrepreneurs, and you've, you've got everything here from, you know, YouTube stars to the the big platforms like night netflix and but but clearly there's a revolution going on both in the way that we create and we consume content and the way that that content is, is monetized and you know you i think you know you yourself saw it a number of years ago that there were big changes happening in that space and look h- how do you see it evolving going forward you know given the continual and rapid changes in this space well uh, I, I know you're more a man of history but i'm going to ask you about the future well
1: here. no I, i'm glad you have done i think well the, the lessons from history because all, all we all we're all i mean all historians are interested in the future right but we we, we know that the, <laughs> only, the only playbook we've got is the past like you know, not, that, that's the only thing we can actually work out is what's happened and that might give us a few hints and ideas about what's coming. One thing is that we've been wrong a lot. Um I remember in 2000 and around 11 10 11 and YouTube was just really gaining steam. And everyone, I mean it was like being inside the BBC and being hanging out with anyone who provided content was like this is the end. Like, I don't understand mm. how this isn't the end. Y- you've got a gigantic unbelievably enticing free at the point of delivery content engine. Like, why will we ever... How are we going to make a living ever again other than trying to go on Netflix and making, like, you know, one p per thousand million views or whatever? Mm. Um, I, I was actually going to YouTube and, and making, like, one p per thousand views, and, and, and it just doesn't feel sustainable for quality content. Like, it was, a, there was a feeling of, like, barbarian at the gates, it's over. And what happened? We've just seen 10 years of the most extraordinary explosion of investment into quality content that the world's ever seen like mm. unimaginable budgets yeah on film and tv like uh, yeah. And, and bear in mind back then 10 years ago also film it was pirating pirating this pirating that how can you make no one will make money out of film the enemy okay so we just thought there was no we just thought content was dead and we couldn't have been more wrong right some mm. people got it right and they launched you know netflix subscriber engines, whatever so the happy, happy lesson, the really positive and amazing lesson, is that people are willing to pay for content, and and the book, and and also books. You remember, electronic books will they get pirated? Will books die out? Publishing die on its ass? That didn't happen. People still seem to like books, hardback books in particular, like present gifting, nice things for your house. We we we, we there is an idea like Patreon happens. We, we are prepared mm. to support content makers that we like and trust and respect. The New York Times is now washing its own face. Um, Obviously, there's been a kind of holocaust in other local newspapers, but there are the Economist, New York Times, the Washington Post, although it's owned by a trillionaire. You know, there are Mm. organizations. I think the Times, the UK Times is now break even. So it's looking more hopeful for quality than it was 10 years ago. Now, what that mm. means in the future, I don't know, but uh, technology that, that for me, it feels like we're entering another rapid tra- transition now of the delivery mechanisms rather than the platform, uh, the culture. Culture yeah. has been the exciting things. Old people that like my dad now watch Apple TV, Netflix. He's streaming. He's, he's, he's like, he, like he's like, my kids. He is, you know, he's eight in his eighties. It feels like that happened. Which mm. massively opens up that pool of people, perhaps older, perhaps more yep. affluent, willing to pay for interesting content, willing to pay for you know non non sport, non sex content, great non popular culture, whatever. Right, that's helped those of us who are making factual content. But it does feel to me like the glasses stuff, the wearables, which again everyone's been talking about. It's one of those ones that everyone's been talking about for ages. It's like, yeah, well, there is been talking about it for ages. It's going to happen, and the first few iterations mm. might not have worked and be a bit embarrassing. But trust me, it's coming. Right. And so wearables, TVs, the smart TV like the Samsung, the new Samsung is like a weapon, and it's massively helping us with findability and and um and conversion. If if someone's watching a history documentary on their telly, like what's the only thing better than someone getting content on their phone and subscribing when they're on their way home from work or whatever? The only thing better than that is if you're making history documentaries. Is when they're actually watching history documentaries, you advertise them on, on their sofa and say, "Click your remote control for you like you like this this documentary. You're going to love history." So, that's game changing for us. So, I think the hardware is coming back into it. So, whether it's wearables or TVs, the hardware will be really important. And then, in the history space, it's that it's that again. It, there's been so many false dawns, but it's augmented reality. It's VR. We're seeing more and more projects actually working. We're seeing more and more, the the hardware is becoming cheaper, more wearable, more usable. So I think that feels really important in this space as well. But, you know, I'll listen to this in 10 years time and think, ha ha, what an idiot, you didn't even predict this or that or the other.
0: Yeah, although I think I think you I think you're absolutely right though, When you get into areas like kind of VR, it's felt like you know we've been talking about it forever. But you know some of the sales figures now that are coming out yeah. around things like you know the, the new Oculus set, it finally st- feels like it's starting to, to happen. And, and look, I mean, you you obviously have a a number of different content forms on you know, history hit TV through 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 the podcast. You've talked a bit about some of the platforms and, and the technology and so the type of content i mean it's you're obviously producing a lot of original ip it, it, you, is there a particular area that you're focusing or is it going to be a kind of broad brush strategy broad, see what sticks i guess it's broad you know? brush
1: at the moment um it's we, we learn lots of interesting things we learn that the, the medieval like i mean it, we thought it would be lots of second world war stuff for history fans but it actually it turns out that it's not it's um possibly because that's actually being fairly well dealt with elsewhere on the internet elsewhere in the And maybe it's that we can start to deliver the kind of quite in-depth, quite chunky, quite thought-provoking longer form content around medieval period, for example, that that just no one else is doing really Mm. because it's hard. It's hard. There's no, there's no pictures, right? It's, it's, it's going, you know, it's not like you got archive, you got Winston Churchill speeches and you've got moving pictures. It's not, you know, it's nothing. You just go to places and you have to sort of imagine it. So it's hard and it's expensive because, you know, if you do reconstruction or whatever, but, um, but so yeah I think um uh we we are going to continue on a broad broad front um and but make our hero pieces more expensive and and, and looking. So again very much like Netflix you go well you you, you spend big money in eye catching um beautiful un, you know programs that other people can't afford other people can't aspire to ambitious only history it could do you know a massive glossy history of 100 years war say Uh, and then Mm. you make those more expensive you reinforce that and then you use those for acquisition spray it all over the internet show they're doing something really unusual and um that's probably so our hero pieces will get bigger and then we'll fill the rest up with licensing third-party docs or you know pushing out more of our kind of easy to make big volume um uh shows from around the world uh, to sort of as 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 our kind of you know as as the weekly diets of history programs,
0: yeah, really exciting, so look we we've talked a bit about the the origin story and getting something up and running. Now, the next bit I want to ask you about, which is often seen as the hardest bit in, in startup world, is is that sort of, you know, scaling bit, you know, uh, you're, you're beyond startup, I think they call it stay up, there's various kind of terms for it. But that, that next bit of, right, like for you, what were the factors, what were the lessons that you would share around enabling something to kind of grow and to be successful, sustainable as a creative enterprise? What, what was involved in that part of the journey yeah, for you? Yeah, I
1: mean, in a way, you're right, it's almost a hard, as hard as the startup, with the very, very sharp bit startup, really, which is you get so used to being a resource poor business that you just mm. stay in your startup up team you hunker down you get through it you make payroll you you get to the next month then when you find yourself with a bit more money, like a bit more money you go <laughs> what where, where do we put those chips on the table right what do we put them on red or black or do we put them on 23 24 25 so it it's um it's quite difficult that bit and we uh we what do we do? I mean, we we did. I mean, we we just increased headcount. We increase hiring. We um, we 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 made a decision we would increase our IP and and try and invest into um, the invest into the stuff that we would then own and would be evergreen. And we'd see we'd see a ROI in, in perhaps a slightly longer term, um, rather than chasing. In our case. You know, we always had this bit of a distraction. We had another aspect to our business, which was commercial, which is we had right. we could do branded content deals with people, right? So they'd come to us say, we want a podcast. Like St. Helena, the island of St. Helena, was saying, we need more tourists to come to St. Helena. So we'd go down there, and they'd pay us to do that. Mm. And we'd get a TV show out of it for our channel. We'd get podcasts out of it for our network, and we'd get dot .com articles, but we'd also blast out stuff on social for them so it was a good deal for everyone but it took a lot of time Mm. and and but but it also brought in some some cash so let's make a decision whether we kind of focused on that which is maximizing that kind of cash in the short term or keep true to the original mission which is make shows that you know wouldn't see an immediate return on investment but would be really useful staples for us going forward and over the years to come so we invest into that um but on the whole yeah we on the whole we've grown headcount and we, we've grown our departments in line with revenue like we, we haven't mm. we didn't do anything crazy uh and and obviously kind of the exact transition from startup to stay up happened during covid so everything went bonkers anyway yeah um and so we so sort of, you know, so so every and then we sold the business during COVID. So it's every business's journey is unusual. And but what I would say is that yeah, we we we've never galloped ahead of revenue, and we've just added added staff headcount as we've needed them. I think in in as the podcast grew in revenue, it became clear that we need to up the game on editing. Just make it nicer. Just get it better. You know, so we invest into that. We invested into the TV side of it as that grew, and I guess we did take a bit of a gamble on the .dot com because the advertising on the .dot com um, lagged a bit behind the investment we put in there. But we've, you know, we're, we're building a much bigger history at .dot com website, and we're now seeing the sessions go up every month to a million sessions and beyond, and the revenue starting to catch up there as well. But so yeah, in, sort of investing a little bit in little bits of the business, but without taking any huge gambles.
0: Yeah, great. And as you mentioned, it's been phenomenally successful to the point that you were acquired. And and I'm interested as to how that's changed the journey. You know, different. I'm guessing. You know, especially. You know, it was your thing, and then suddenly you're 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 in a different kind of structure. But presumably, resources and other things come with that. You know.
1: Yeah, resource and advice and support came with it. An office came with it, which is, you know, these things are so funny in
0: a startup. Who needs an office these days? Well, Well,
1: come on. Turns out that's (laughs) true. At the time, it was nice. (laughs) Um, It's uh, these little things that you just just that sort of just that those you know. And we got obviously help with finance and HR and things like that. Which came from our parent company, but they've been great. They, they, they understand they're a content business. They understand there's no point in buying content business. They're like trying to make them do something different. So they, they get that. They've never ever said to me, Dan, do you want to stop like tweeting that mad shit about X? You know, like they've just never ever, they've just been always, they, they get it. They've been a huge supportive. They have, um, they haven't, they haven't pumped money into the business, but they've, nor have they taken money out of the business. So, so we're still running it. Mm. Um, and and reinvesting our, our, our reinvesting the revenue we make into it, uh, we I'm I'm still a part owner, as it were. I've got a structure, which means I, I'm you know, in five years' time I'll, I'll be leaving, but with a, a you know a special deal, and that means I still feel I have ownership, and and I still feel I've expect- right. particularly creative ownership. I have a few friends who said you're crazy, you know, never like don't sell, you you build something massive and become a trillionaire. And I did think, well. First of all, I'm not sure that's true. And secondly, <laughs> I think I need to optimize. I need to, I need to kind of optimize the things that I want to be do. And I realized I didn't really like going into meetings when I'm trying to be Mr. Positive history guy and find out, Oh, cool. A new archaeology story. I'm going to read this and get in touch with that archaeo- that historian who's discovered something exciting to then go into endless meetings going right about finance and stuff. I thought it's not super. It's not good for my mental health and it's not. I'm not going to be at my best. So I think, I think selling it, getting it on a more sure-footed kind of platform and getting support with all those other bits and around spreadsheets and zero and all that kind of stuff means that I could probably be my best self, which is just gallop around looking for opportunities to make content and, 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 and PR it and, you know, so make noise. And I do think that's what's happened. It's also nice to sell it and just clear out all the original investors, all the other startup. My two co-founders, the original investors, you just go right there. There's you. That's you. Done. Thank you very much. Hell of a ride. Let's move on mm. to the next phase with with far more streamlined thing. And you don't have those kind of weird situations where you have original investors who are like no longer part of the journey, or or you know founders who don't, who'd rather go off and do something else, but they, they need to realise the cash out of it. So. They're, they're happy, they're done, they go off on their own new adventures. And I'm the one who loved the history. I'm the one who loved doing the crazy content stuff. I stay in and crack on. So, just every business is different. The sale will come at a time when it's appropriate for you. And, you know, some people go, well, it's not much point running a $10 million revenue business if I can't afford a house. You know, I want to I I have kids, mm. I want to have a nice life. I don't want lots of money in my 60s, I want some money in my 30s, you know. So, like it has to be right for you and it's i have to say selling it at the point we did was it was a a squintish bit earlier in terms of price we did we didn't you know it wasn't monster valuations (laughs) um
0: but it was right for all of us i think i just wanted to take a few moments to talk about our latest remix collaborator the uk government who are the series partner for see things differently To celebrate this link up, over the next few episodes, we're going to be exploring the stories of a number of UK-based innovators. I'm also excited about this collaboration because the first ever Remix Summit took place in the UK, in London, back in 2014. 300 creatives gathered from sectors such as the arts and technology at Bloomberg's European headquarters in the heart of the city to explore the future of the creative industries, creative cities and the creative economy. Remix was designed to be a platform that would bring together creative thinkers from different industries to connect and develop new ideas. I believe that one way to spark innovation comes from the meeting of diverse minds. I think of these melting pots as the collision economy. They create an environment where you can see things differently. This collision effect is most powerful in locations where there is a large creative ecosystem and talent base in countries such as the UK. For example, did you know that the UK is ranked fourth in the world in the Global Innovation Index? There's over 100 tech unicorns, that's companies with a valuation over a billion dollars, in the UK, which was the third country to pass this milestone. It also ranks number three in terms of venture capital investment globally. If you're interested in finding out more about doing business in the UK, then visit great.com dot gov uk forward slash remix to find out more now back to the show um i want to sort of take a step back now in terms of the the environment in which the um the business operates and um uh, this, this question relates to sort of building a, a, a startup in, in the UK. And you, know, you mentioned things earlier, like the EIS scheme, which for listeners, if they elsewhere in the world, is the enterprise investment scheme. And I'm, I'm keen to get your thoughts on like, what's it like building a business within the UK's environment? Obviously, it's a, it's a country very well known for its creative industries it's 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 increasingly for it's obviously its startup ecosystem as well culture and history obviously is something that we we, we do well and as, as building a business in the uk made a difference to your, your journey at all
1: yeah i mean I i've never built a business elsewhere i hear it's a lot easier to raise money in the states than it is here um mm. that's what everyone whines about um i'm gonna be very honest here as well um it would have been i, I don't know how we've would done it if it hadn't been for my uh, tw- well, first of all, twenty years of working in history, building a reputation. Yeah. You, know, h- you know, hundreds of thousands of social media followers across a couple of different platforms. Um, it you know it, and and then, you know, relentless networking of rich people that I knew. <laughs> you know, so uh, it is like, it's 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 it was harder. Th- I, I thought, wow, I enjoy- I've got extraordinary privilege here. You know, I, I um, have met you know, through fundraising for the British Museum. You know, I met a very rich collector of historical objects and I was able to email him and say, hey man, I'm going to start a business. Um, and he gave me, you know, £25,000 in EIS. You know, So it was understandably i mean you know you're a joker you're, you're walking in there with a bit of paper right can you go i want to start a business here's some paper what what you're what you're the guy to tell you what have you ever done so I, i'm not whining i'm just saying it is, it is hard and i am very aware of my privilege like jeepers creepers uh i oh i'm sorry the builders have started next door so you may hear a bit of building noise now on the uh, on the pod um uh yeah so i, I am a I, I was a i was a sort of uh a, a, a sort of established uh, I, I, I was the right sort of chap. I spoke the right kind of lingo. i go and have those sort of meetings with those kind of rich guys. Kind of, they, they kind of probably like the cut of my chip. Like, I am very aware how hard it must be for people who don't have those benefits um, and are coming at it from a different point of view. So, and in that case, I guess, you know, other start, friends of mine in the media space and startups, they are, they are starting up something. They're kind of going into a world with, with backing from a, you know, a, a Sony or an existing entity who who they've got a pre-existing relationship with, who they they kind of want to take it. They almost want to do what they're doing for someone else and do it themselves and they get backing. Mm. Like that, I understand how that works much better. But yeah, as a sort of, almost as a member of the public, albeit as someone who's worked in that space, to go, I've got a new idea for a completely different thing. It's like a new widget. It's a new platform. Um, It's hard to raise money for. And that's as a a big posh bloke who, who knew rich people, um, and was able to kind of, you know, uh, um, walk the walk and talk the talk in that world. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's really helpful to give me a sense of um, yeah those those starting points. And as you said, like like history here, it's um, you know it's, I think it's becoming obviously it's a brand in, in its own self, but it is very also bound up in your identity as the as the founder, who's somebody who's well known. And I'm interested in how you build. A brand and a, and a community a, a, around, you know, a concept like History Hit, which it, it's, as you said, it sounds like in the first instance, you very much leveraged your own networks, but also how you build that brand going forward, particularly if there's, a, if you say there's a point at which, I mean, maybe you always contribute to the business in some way, but there's a different role for you down the track. Well,
1: it's amazing. We're about founder syndrome here, and I think it's really important. So I've, we all laugh at it, and I've seen it in many other people. And now I realize it's, I'm going to be that guy, and I'm going to be a, in my <laughs> mid 40s, coming to the end of my, Contract at History Hit, but obviously keen to stay, and hopefully they'll be keen to have me stay. And how do I kind of go? How do I deal with that? Is it best History Hit that I leave altogether? Um, And initially, it was relentless. My, I mean, I was just sat in my, I sat in this room that I'm in now doing live streams on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, okay? please subscribe to my new history. Please subscribe to... And, you know, you'd see five people a night, 10 people, 15 people. And I was just dragging them through that paywall myself, you know. Now, clearly, that's ridiculous um, when you have aspiration to be a proper global brand. So I'm obviously stepping back from that. If you look at the top 10 programmes behind our paywall at the moment, I'm presenting about two of them. So positive signs there. Mm, interesting. That, yeah. um, the audience are watching... And I've got to say, I'm, I'm not, I've got to say, I'm amazed. I've, i look, I've been frankly amazed that anyone has ever followed me, watched me, subscribed to me over the last 20 years at all. So the fact that they are not, uh, are watching mostly other shows on history here is a great happiness to me. I, I, I'm very, I genuinely am very relaxed about that. I'm happy as long as I'm able to keep that original vision in mind. I would just love to have that freedom to go and make, do creative projects that I'm fascinated by. Um, with a, with a bit of freedom and a bit of choice and a bit of agency. And so I, I'm very happy to make two, three shows a year. To, but if it's 10, to 15, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, I love the podcast. I, love, I find that engaging. And that is Down History Hit podcast. So that does feel a bit more individual, but it's certainly not the whole brand anymore. And other podcasts in our network are growing. They may overtake mine, which will be a day of celebration for me, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and and I... Would lo- I would love to see history here as a global brand in 10 years time. And as one of the presenters or as some, so even just a guy with some legacy shows on there, I would be very, very proud. You know, I've been very lucky. I've rafted down the Grand Canyon. I've sailed across oceans for TV. I've done lots of exciting things. If I can build a global brand, I think that's a, a an equal achievement, probably a greater achievement. And it's one that I don't have to be front and center in. So, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's a new, in the middle part of my career, there's a new, uh, thing, I'm getting as much enjoyment out of it and seeing other shows go up the charts as I do out of the narcissism of, of having everyone like, like my new show about this, that and the other. So it's, it's a new achievement. It's a different kind of enjoyment, but it's one that I'm, I'm getting huge satisfaction from.
0: Yeah, great. Okay, and can can I ask you a little bit about the audiences for History Hit and, and 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 how much work have you done in terms of understanding them, the different types of audiences, like who's the the, the you know the Mondeo man of of History Hit, or uh, are these audiences changing, behaviours changing over time? We have not looked into our audience as much as we should. Have done.
1: We do know that it's about seventy percent UK, thirty percent abroad, mm-hmm. mostly in America. Um, we know that we know that they are in uh, average age or me- medium age whatever it is 40s so younger than, 20 years younger than bbc2 but probably 20 years older than tiktok um, but, but that's our subscribers by the way facebook excuse young uh, sorry facebook twitter and facebook all have their own obviously their own kind of points uh, yep. we know that they are Quite often outside london in the the u k ones are often outside London, they are often people who are seeking cultural interaction and and have to, have had to work a little bit harder to do that than if they lived in London where just knock uh, pop out the front door and have a quick stroll through the Tate modern or whatever. These are people who are who who are keen to be part of something kind of cultural part of something intellectual um but living living right across the country in places where, yeah, the, the, online is the place where they would kind of access that world. So that's kind of what we're doing. We, we do have a lot of parents getting it for their teenage kids for school and everything, which is great.
0: Um, and yeah, so the education market, I imagine, is a, another interesting area for you.
1: It's interesting, but as you will know from talking to people, education is really difficult. It's really high barriers to entry. There's lots of different curricula. There's lots of different – It's it's really hard to get – you have to make content quite tailored for that particular market. Otherwise, everyone just goes well. So a, a kind of random documentary on 1066 is of some use to kids studying, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and medieval period in the UK. But it's not like curriculum essential. So we can't go buy this mm. and your kid will pass their GCSEs because we'd have to just dis- produce worksheets and we'd have to build. And then each GCSE area is different, region different. And then that's just the UK. So it's a lot of investment for something. So we we are it's an interesting market and we're talking to people and looking at stuff but it's more difficult than people think. Everyone always says to me, "Oh, um, education surely is the way to go." You go well, yeah, you say that. It's actually not and and the minute the syllabus changes, you've got a ton of legacy content which doesn't really work anymore. So you, it is it's good, um but it it needs more thinking about and that's another sort of push for this year.
0: hmm okay. So the next question is this is one that I'm asking everybody in this series. Um one is maybe if you could just tell me a bit more about your experience during COVID, which I think obviously interesting from where you're coming from as a as a content creator. But also, you know, as we're looking to kind of rebuild and potentially to rebuild um differently to what was there before, you know, what do you think as a creative entrepreneur, what are the opportunities for creatives and creative entrepreneurs, you know, as we emerge from the, the pandemic?
1: Well, I think the opportunities are that the pandemic pandemic's very creative, um it, as I said earlier about my dad going on it pu- it pushed everyone there was always a big thought wasn 't it? There were two bell curves were, f- sorry, this is I'm um, again talking about kind of factual, but mm. there were two bell curves on the sh- of the graph there was people online and then people interested in factual stuff <laughs> and and the people online were all young and they at a wicked time and they've got you know so it's it's social apps it's dating apps it's whatever it is sport and it's fandom, whatever it is. The older people, that older bell curve has just been shunted massively or whichever. The bell curves now merge a bit more. You know, my next neighbor is an old lady who, during lockdown, started going to Zoom talks about opera. So there was a lot of creativity. There were treasure hunts. There were pub quizzes. There were, it drove people online. People did you know, Instagram craze about dressing up as your favorite art you know, from your favorite Bit of you know whether it's Ophelia drowning in the bath from that Pre-Raphaelite painting, whatever it was, you know people were doing mad stuff at home and it was great. So mm. I think I think people are, and I think people are subscribing to things. They, they were they were they they were looking for things and there was and entering their credit card details or doing Apple Pay like that was which actually, th- twice, ten years ago they didn't. You know so now if you come across a weird little. You know, if you, there's a Patreon or there's a weird, there's a little corner of the internet that you're interested in. You're like, no, I'm 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 cool for this. I'm up for it. Okay, what they're doing? Opera? Yeah, fine. You know, I know dozens. Well, you know, a dozen historians who have just gone out in lockdown and been like, right, paid lectures tonight. Go, and they've set up all these crowdcasters, whatever it is, and they, you know, people, five hundred people, a thousand people are paying them a fiver and talk about Carmen, talk about the Dan Buster's Raid. And it's just people at home doing that. So I think they've got kind of a cottage, which, by the way, going back to the 1990s, which you're probably too young to remember, that's what we thought the internet was going to be, weirdly. We thought the internet was going to be, oh, look, I've written a poem. I've written a book. I've written a song. Mm-hmm. Someone pay me 5p, and I'll make a living at home doing this. I'm going to go and live in Dartmoor. I don't need to be in an office. don't be in London. don't be in New York. And I can be creative. And weirdly... After a, quite a big detour via, well, not even a detour. Still in that world where the internet is dominated by the world's biggest companies and everything. You know, you you can't listen to a song unless you go to Spotify. I mean, it's virtually impossible, right? Weirdly, we yeah. may be seeing that that dream might be coming to fruition, which is like, no, maybe we are kind of. You can make a living now by creating stuff and and being supported online to create that stuff. So, and I think COVID has accelerated that and helped that. That's what I think. Um, It is also true, I think, that people are looking for change in their lives and therefore that always helps creative industries. They may have a bit more time on their hands. They may want to learn other things, use other skills. That seems to be going on a bit. Um, I think that we're spending less time in the office, so less time commuting has got to be creative, full stop. I mean, surely, you know, that was a big suck on our creativity. I think we'll go back to the office three times a week and we're focusing probably on better time. Quite more quality time together in the office maybe, opportunity, maybe maybe things we want to do together so I think it's, I think it, it, there there have been um, opportunities co- created by, I, I, in terms of my Covid experience, I'm very privileged I have a nice house, a garden, I was with my kids a lot, they still like me, they're still young enough not to realise their dad's a bit of an idiot so um, I had lovely time I made a lot of podcasts, we made some video content locally to me I live in the New Forest so working distance with camera crews stuff was no problem. Um and we live in Britain, which is the world's greatest centre of historic stuff. So without travelling abroad we were able to make, you know the mary Rose, you know, High Clear Castle, um HMS Victory is all a short drive from my house so so without having to go on planes without having to build big teams and travel we were able to make convincing historical content that anyone around the world would think well yeah that's that's interesting stuff so i was very lucky in our business we were very lucky and we continue to grow during during lockdowns
0: Yeah, yeah interesting and it sounds like for lots of people as you say necessity is the mother of invention isn't it so um i want to go back to something you said a little earlier, as we start to kind of wind up Uh, and you talked about um you know your contact at the 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 british museum and like one of the things that that remix tries to do is to is to introduce entrepreneurs and connect them to you know the cultural sector uh, and look at what change they can make happen together and it always strikes me you mentioned the bbc again as an organization earlier that you know it's hard for them next to a youtube or a spotify to move at the same pace and you know, when I think about a cultural organization, some of them have a, a pretty big digital footprint, but by no, nowhere near as big as a lot of those, you know, whether it's a YouTube star or those, those content creators that are out there, which, which, which can be a little bit more nimble or can raise alternative forms of, of fundraising. And I wonder what you think the opportunities are for collaboration between, you know, some of these content entrepreneurs and you know, who are creating content, whether it's around a niche subject or a mainstream subject, and perhaps you know our cultural sector, whether that's organisations, historic sites, you know the National Trust, whoever. It just strikes me that's a really untapped opportunity. Well,
1: I love
0: Britain's cultural sector,
1: but I'm not sure it is. I think it's been tapped. I think people have tried to tap it. I have tried to tap it. So my initial, I spent 15 years thinking, well, the obvious place to go is go to museums, right? I mean, they've like obviously they've got the content. So like, why am I? And actually, I started history because I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I, I, I had a meeting, I'll never forget, I was in a pub in 2012 with the head of the Imperial War Museum, who's a friend, brilliant, brilliant museum chief, and she had just finished spending 60 million quid on refurbing the Imperial War Museum for the First World War, coming up, centenary, and I said, look, yeah, you give me a fraction of that, and you give me access to your archives and your staff and your objects, and I will build you an online empire. I will stop working at the BBC. I will come work for you full-time, and we will create the Imperial War Museum. And and maybe, understand, like, understand me she looks at me like I've gone bonkers. Like, she's like, well, you know, what? I'm, I'm going to hire a team. I'm not. We're, we're going to become a television channel. Like, no. They're so much more comfortable building bricks and mortar. It's, it's, uh, it is a source of absolute amazement to me that I've built history here and that, you know... I mean, the Tate and the British Museum do pretty well and stuff, but even they're not as nimble. You know, they, they haven't la- launched their Svbod platforms. They haven't ha- had a breakout smash hit podcast, for example. They, they're very good on so they got on mm. social media pretty well. Their websites—I don't know how they monetize their websites and whether they've got other, maybe they drive ticket sales. So maybe it does. I don't know enough about their business, but it was—it was just really difficult, and I don't blame them. Like some chancellor coming, look, there's this new thing called like uh, you know i don't know youtube or new thing called this new thing called that let's do this let's do that they all just went no like maybe but i'm just not we're not gonna take the risk we're not gonna go to our board of trustees where we sank half a million quid in dan snow's you know s platform that didn't work right and i get that i get that but on the flip side they must i mean you look i look at yeah, Al Murray's podcast on, on World War Two, which in the space of a year has become mm. like a real global phenomenon, and they've had you know thousands of people attending live shows. And you think how did one of our thousands of World War Two museums not do that? They had much bigger. They've got bigger email lists. They've got bigger websites. They've got bigger collections. They've got teams of. They've got teams of in-house historians that can go as guests, and they just you just get they're just flat-footed, and so yeah i i we, we do talk to those organizations a lot, and we want to work with them and, but they just move slowly like i 'm afraid to say, so we are you know desperately trying to move things ahead with with very well known famous organizations but there 's just they 're rightly cautious they worry about brand you know, rightly they go, well, what if dan does something crazy and commissions a history of sex and then we've got a 10-part series on our stately home and then it's all kind of really weird stuff going on elsewhere. You know, I, I understand, I understand. But I, I do find it interesting that in the same way that YouTubers just took, well, and podcasters just took Radio 4 or BBC or ITV just absolutely just came in on the inside track and just blew them away in terms of audience figures and stuff and revenue. Um I do think the same is happening a little bit in my corner of the world as well but uh, we're continuing to work those people and and hopefully as we get bigger and more established they might trust us a bit more and i understand why they don't but uh, and let us you know have proper big joint collaborations and, and really crack on
0: well, look, maybe uh, that that challenge leads me to really my my final question. So, like, like what does the future hold for for history here? You know, um, you know, maybe it's a bit of that. Maybe it's some some other things.
1: Oh, I think it's um, it's that it's it's becoming a quite a conventional broadcaster. So, you, you know, you'll see us working with I don't know, pick a number, Mary Rose or Chatsworth or George Washington's house outside uh, D.C. And you'll see a physical presence there as as, as you've seen it you know when you go to shops at the moment around those kind of heritage sites um you'll see uh much more many more programs you'll hear a lot about us because we're looking for opportunities so we're we're, we're, we're we you know, we're, we're boxing clever we you know when you do the next shipwreck that comes gets raised the next archaeological site that gets discovered you'll probably see us attached to that project funding it broadcasting it mm. um gaming we've got a big gaming venture underway so we're um mm age of empires we're sponsoring an age of empires tournament so gamers are going to hear about it uh we we are going to probably publish books we're going to pro- release more podcasts um and you know so it's um and probably like live events i expect as well when that all comes back so but 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 I, what i'm obsessed by is i love tv I, i'm where i started in this industry 20 years ago i love making tv shows i believe in it i believe in video as a way of getting mm. over information and enjoyment to people so you'll be seeing bigger and bigger projects um over the over the next couple of years
0: that's great and, and it sounds like people are coming to you now as well saying that you're the right avenue to share our stories you know? yeah well
1: that dude that is the absolute joy of the startup you go from being getting in touch with people and, and they go right well, you know i'm interested in this idea what have you got to show us you're like well i've got a, i've got a powerpoint you know and i i will do it and they go oh, okay fine
0: well, yeah, and also never, never knock the PowerPoint. The powerpoint get so many things started, I, I, don't I, they? Well, you know? exactly, but also it's, you
1: know, your sort of crusty bit of paper that comes out of your bag, that, so your backpack, you have bicycle over on a sort of bike, you meet in the Head of Imperial Museum, this tangled bit of paper comes out of a backpack. And she rightly goes, well, maybe, I don't know about this. So, you know, like, okay, who are you? Whereas now, the extraordinary thing about getting incoming men, it's just that, that joyful thing. Oh, we just got, we just got approached by... You know, this whiskey brand who, like, think you're awesome. It's their 100th anniversary of their whiskey. Or 20th, you know, you're like, okay, thanks. So that was, a, that was nice. I was sitting on my chair and I was getting that email. Or, or this university are about to release, these amazing findings about Roman gladiators that they've excavated and done studies on. Yeah, brilliant. We'll be a media part of that, thank God. I mean Whereas, you know, I spent years just crawling around, banging on doors, asking people, DMing people, you know, just humiliating myself. And yeah, the incoming is the great joy.
0: Mm. Oh, look, it's it's hugely impressive, I think, what you've been able to achieve. Look, I'm biased. I'm a subscriber. Everyone should subscribe to, to History Hit. But uh, look uh that's my questions finished thank you so much for your your time and look I I can't wait to see what happens next you know you're clearly on this um incredible sort of trajectory so it's just really exciting to see what's going to happen over the over the next few years and to hear a little bit about those plans so many thanks uh for for joining us thank you so much Peter
1: and it's great to be on your podcast and at the end of the day one thing you were very kind not to ask me about is luck and I have to say Mm. I think it's mostly luck so i know i know entrepreneurs go into two groups one is hard work versus like i just want to put it on the record on this excellent pod
0: that the other thing that has happened to me is i've been incredibly incredibly lucky cheers dan i think that's a good one to end on and a very honest answer as well thank you thanks man so thanks for staying with us and that's a wrap for this episode another great guest will follow in our next edition I'm Peter Tullen and if you like what you hear, there are literally hundreds more talks from Remix events all around the globe at RemixSummits.com and as mentioned, many of them are free. If you want to support Remix, then you can subscribe to access all of our latest and upcoming talks from Remix events and if you're in Australia, our next Remix Summit takes place in Sydney on the 8th to 9th of March. Thanks for joining us.